All right, and we're uh, we're recording here with Chris Hausnick, Life Unraveled. This is going to be our fourth episode, special guest here. So how you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. Excellent. Still getting over uh, the uh, holiday flu epidemic that we had around here. Uh, I was on the bronchitis train on the side of that, and yeah, most of the way there. Yeah, man, it, I'm still I'm still feeling it in my chest too. I had I, I've never had the flu as an adult, but it was super rough. Yeah. As uh, as I relayed to you a couple of times already, <laughs> man, it was I was out for like at least six days. Yeah, I mean the only good side was a, it, that it was between like you know Christmas and New Year's where I didn't have to get anybody anywhere on a schedule. Yeah, like I know a, what it, it it was kind of a it was a bummer time to to get sick because I missed like our awards and everything, but. It was kind of like, I mean, I had minimal classes that I had to teach that I missed. Like, I wasn't, I, I haven't started adjuncting yet, but I start mm -hmm. tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, the, I was, the I was other working yesterday and all weekend on uh, lecture notes and stuff. <laughs> the other, uh, the Mrs. House, Nick, will make sure to stop in and make fun of you and Tundra from the back of the room at some point. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was having to lean over and because uh, they didn't give me my blackboard login. So <laughs> you should have like Booty and I were in here. We went and saw Todd Snyder in concert the other night at George's. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever heard of uh, Todd Snyder? I don't think so. So he plays, we're going to do a whole music unravel on him. I'd never really heard, I mean, I knew who he was, but I never really listened to his music. And he's kind of like a folk storyteller. Hmm. Uh, we're going to do one, I think, uh, I've got, uh, we were going to try and do one yesterday while it was still super fresh, but we could neither one of us could make it work, so we're going to do one uh, Friday mm -hmm. over Todd Snyder Unraveled. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it, because he played an incredible show. It's actually, we got, they had all these tables up front, and then it was like a packed house at, uh, outside of that. George's is not a huge venue, but mm -hmm. it's like, they bring in like big time bands like Umphreys McGee and... Um, we saw Jimmy Herring from Widespread Panic there, but Todd Snyder is in a, a band <clears throat> with wi uh, Widespread Panic's Dave Schools mm, okay. and Dwayne Trucks, oh. Derek Trucks' brother, the drummer for Panic. So I, I, really, um, I really enjoyed watching him play, but he's in this band called Hardworking Americans. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was cool. I uh, played harmonica a lot, too. Like huh. It was like, kind of like a Neil Young. It was just him, acoustic guitar, harmonica. It was really a really good show, but we were right up front, like literally there were like two rows of tables, maybe like six tables across, and we were right up front. And uh, he just came in. I, I forget how many songs he played, close to 20, and just nice. I was blown away. Yeah. It was way, way more than I expected. So It's um, fun when you see bands like that where they strip it down and you know it's just them. Um, I still remember. I've never actually seen the Dave Matthews Band the whole thing but yeah. i saw it, it was called dave matthews and friends oh yeah i, I remember it, when you did that yeah it was dave Matthews. you know you were you were probably 13 um i was you know that's like i've been charting dave matthews since i was in junior high you know john emmerling from the gym oh yeah so he's going to come on the podcast for two cool things about john emmerling is that um he's seen dave matthews band 35 times in concert he saw widespread panic in concert back um in some bar in like oklahoma or texas for seven dollars <laughs> like yeah. now i mean literally panic almost only plays two or three day events like colby my buddy's going to see him at uh, mexico again mm -hmm. and um that's a four-night thing they oh, yeah. played in vegas uh around <clears throat> august i believe it was three-night show at the, at the joint in the hard rock 
So everything that Red Rocks, three, four night shows. Yeah. And that is several hundred dollars oh, to it, go. Part of it is that um, a lot of uh, rock stars are aging. And that yeah. the time on the road is what kills them. But if you park them in a, in a location for a week, you know, you get in on, you know, Monday, you rehearse Tuesday, Wednesday, you play Thursday through Saturday or whatever. That's why you're seeing a lot more of a, you know, I'm a child of the, of the 80s arena. Yeah. So you're seeing more and more of those bands do the, the Hollywood residencies. You know, yeah. Def Leppard's going to play a month in Vegas, you know. I think I saw where Lady Gaga is uh, took up residency in Vegas. Yeah, Guns N' Roses did it for a while too. Interesting. But it's you know. Did you go to the Guns N' Roses show when they played? No. Here? Did you I think could, about it? Oh, I definitely thought about it, but it, it was you know oxygen level seats. I think at War Memorial were like eighty or ninety bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen a show at War Memorial Stadium. That's an, that's outside, correct? Yes. I've, I've seen a football game there, but I've never seen because um, there's another stadium besides Verizon and War Memorial that I've seen some concert at, concerts at in Little Rock, but I don't remember what the name of it is. It's not the Village. I've been, seen some bands at um, Vino's. Mm-hmm. It's a little pizza joint, but they have like this back room that's just a. Uh, Most of mine that I saw were in the Northeast still. Because um, they always came through, like Philadelphia was great for that. Every band would always hit Philadelphia on its way through. Um, Pittsburgh, State College itself had an arena. Like I yeah, saw, I bet they had some good shows <clears throat> come through. Would you see any good shows while you were in uh, uh, undergrad or grad school? Uh, grad school, um, <laughs> my wife and I joked about it. Aerosmith, they were like just road dogs. Now this is 15 years ago. But we saw them because the great thing is, it's a, like everything's in close in town. It's only like a fifteen minute drive, yeah. um, and parking is actually free at that concert, which is rare. But um, oh, Eric Clapton when I was oh, in grad nice. school. Oh, nice. You know, uh, I heard that his health is uh, really deteriorating. I shared something on Facebook the other day that uh, he's on like um, with uh, uh, what's uh, what's ACDC's uh, former lead singer before he was replaced by Axl Rose's name. Oh, uh, he, is it Bon Scott or was that the guy that passed away? That's the guy that passed away. I know you're talking about the tinnitus or whatever. Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Okay, yeah. so he pretty much went deaf, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, from what I hear. And I think well, he that, was going. I think the doctors told him you can't perform anymore. Yeah, you're done. That, that is what this article I was reading about <clears throat> Eric Clapton said. Same thing. So major bummer. I was I was talking with Colby uh, again the other day. We were talking about guitar players because we've seen Panic several times together, mm-hmm. and he's seen them more times than I have. But Jimmy Herring, in terms of people, because he's on another. Thing that he's a part of this guy's album for is on tour for that. Just went on tour with the Invisible Whip, which um, we went and saw at George's, mm-hmm. and um, in turn, and then all his work with Panic, and then he was with the Dead before that. Oh, there's and a yeah. Colonel Bruce Hampton before that. So mm-hmm. it's like in terms of people that are doing things and have been doing things in the living guitarist world, Jimmy Herring is top five living in my opinion. Yeah. And why <laughs> that is is because. Eric Clapton's, I think, 72, you know, deteriorating health and hasn't really done much in my lifetime. He has, but, <laughs> I mean, not when I not when I was old enough to really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I, like, it's the stuff I look back at, and I'm like, oh, I miss that. But it's like I was, you know, yeah. pre-teen or early teenage. When I think, he if I remember stuff. right, he when he came through, he was about when Danielle and I got married, give or take a couple of weeks either direction. Nice. That would have been amazing to see. Oh, it I'm was. Jealous. Um, you talk about the strip down. Um, he, 
I think they played for about 40, 45 minutes with the full sort of, you know, band behind him. Um, then he sort of pulled out the stool and the acoustic and did about nice. two or three numbers like that. And then they brought the whole band. What did he do acoustic? Do you remember any of the songs? Uh, Tears in Heaven, I think. Layla, the classics. <sighs> I mean, obviously. Yeah. No, I'm, I prefer the electric Layla version, but um, they're just the original vert. There's more like angst yeah. to it. It's It loses a little something to me. I mean, it's still a great song, but it's a very different kind of song, you know, slowed down. Man, and that's the same to be said for, like, dislive performances. Oh, yeah. I, you know, that's, like, like Panic. And a lot of bands have, over um, over the years, have moved to this model and done this. They they bought out all their archives from the record companies. Panic, Panic did that. Mm -hmm. So now Panic records every song at every show and, and puts out videos, and they, they really are hitting the media more than it, maybe any other band I really know of in terms of how they're set up right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of bands are moving to that. But in just like, like diversification, <laughs> they're on Spotify too, you know. I mean, it's they're all over the place. But it's it's interesting that most bands don't have the ability to do something like Panic's doing with that buyout the record contract. So that now mm. their studio stuff sounds a lot closer to their live stuff. Whereas like ten years ago, it's not even a comparison. Mm -hmm. And like seeing most bands live, they have kind of like a different live act yeah. than they do a studio. And that's so evident for like Panic's older stuff. But they've always really recorded a lot. I mean you can see so many videos on YouTube. Oh yeah. I know the um I've been to a couple of shows. My wife's huge into fish. And they were one of the first that I remember having. They would record shows and you could download it. Because um, the first fish show I was at like, was one of the biggest sellers for a bunch of years. Because um, they played lots of more rarities. Like they have this one um, arrangement called Harpua. It's like this multiple, you know, basically they all start changing positions. Like Fishman comes out from behind the drums and sings. You know, plays. A, he's got an Electrolux vacuum cleaner. Um, but you could download individual shows because it was great because you could, you know, hey, I was at this show and you could record. Yeah. You know, I want to jam get... bands in general did that. They figured out that, you know, every show was different. Give everybody every show. Um, you, you, you mentioned jam bands. So I was like uh, the Todd Snyder show the other night. He's like, I'm in a jam band called Hardworking Americans. I mean, he's just playing and singing and he's like, and, uh, uh, the fact that I'm in a jam band is proof that people still like to do drugs or something like that. I mean, it was just this funny, like, but it was a part of his song. And he was like, just how he, like, I mean, it's almost like conversation. He actually oh, yeah. has a book that came out, too. But uh, he had this funny bit in one of his songs about being in a jam band. and Yeah. Funny. Well, anyway. But uh, so... Have you got to see Fish or Trey Anastasio since you moved to uh, Arkansas? No. Arkansas concerts have been hard. Um, yeah. I, about five years ago, um, I drugged two guys to Tulsa when Van Halen came through. Yeah, I remember that. What uh, was it? Uh, Pearson and... Uh, Pearson and Derek. Yeah. I'm like, you're going. Have you talked to Derek recently? Um, I troll him on Facebook a little bit. You know, he's gone up to Pittsburgh. He's, he's famous now. We're talking about him on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, I troll him because it's like, you know, he's used to Arkansas winter. Oh, and, yeah. And it's like, I think the high yesterday was like nine did degrees. See, did you see his status he made about his dog? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> the dog, like, he opened the door to let him out. And the dog was like, no, I'm just going to go in the house today. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
But oh, it's like, man. welcome to Pittsburgh. I mean, he's fitting right in. I'm gonna. I know we're gonna look him up when we go up in the in is, the summer. Is he adjuncting up there? Uh, I'm not really sure what his status was. Uh, I know he was going to um, University of Pittsburgh to work on his, um, his PhD. Yeah, good for him, man. So um, that was part of the plan. I don't know if that began in January or if that's going to start in summer. What the? That's something I've strongly considered doing because now um, has Danielle looked at that at all? Because like, as an employee of UACCM, I don't know how it is for part time, but I'm. Um, I'm trying to teach more and more classes there mm-hmm. as I can, especially they actually just offered the first online class for the history department last semester <laughs> ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, this setup right here is great for recording lectures for anything I want to do. If I, if I want to do an online class now they are, um, is, is tech like this? They're, they're very, um, uniform with how they upload their stuff. Um, like for, I don't know how it is for online courses, but anything that goes on Blackboard is super like, it has to be captioned this way, tagged this way. It's almost like, like citing it. Um, so it goes in the database correctly, I guess. They're, they're working that way. I don't really know as much behind the scenes. I am super list oriented like that. So it's mm -hmm. not that big of a deal, but it's like, until I figure out how to really use the software, it's kind of a, yeah, this semester Um, probably I'm going to do. We've had debates about that. Um, because you've had, I've been, I've been teaching online now between, uh, my last job, almost 10 years, you know, using Blackboard, even just to post stuff up or, um, full online classes now. Like I just finished up a three week American government version yeah. Um, and there's there's debates and discussions, both administrators and teachers, about how and what all this should be done behind the scenes. Like I know, um, there were times like when I first got to tech in 2009, they were like kind of do whatever you want. Um, about five years ago, they tried to standardize really heavily, like you know. Don't modify the look. Don't modify the butt. Like, like idiotic little things. Like don't – you must use – leave like the words, no buttons, no buttons. And kind of like OCD, anal retentive. Now they've kind of loosened that up a bit. You know, you're going to have – but there's not sort of a consensus. You know, yeah. a lot of that is um, disability-oriented. You know, being able for somebody who yeah, I did hear that. I did hear that, and it makes total sense. <clears throat> oh yeah, um, like that's I was talking with Booty, who's who's going to do the Todd Snyder podcast with me, and uh, he was pretty much saying the same thing. It's like it's for good reason, mm-hmm. whether you know you agree with it or understand it. It's so it, things can be more inclusive. Yeah, for everyone. Now I think you have the advantage being a department of one or a you know specialty of one. You don't have to coordinate with anybody. Yeah. It's basically um, at most universities, when you have similar versions of the same class, they have to be, pre- you have to standardize more. Yeah. Like, I would not want to be Dr. Brucker in our English department where you're offering like 75 sections of, comp- you know, English oh, composition man, yeah. and they all have to look pretty. You know, we talked about that. I mean, that's um, just, just for standards. I mean, I have, uh, you know, they, per- and I think, they probably did the same thing with Danielle, but they just gave me my syllabus and were like, this is what you're going to do. And I was, you know, and, and there's wiggle room within that, mm-hmm. but, um, 
in terms of like all the major themes, all the topics, here's what we want them to understand. It's all in there for me. They're like, as a matter of fact, just put your name on it and then print <laughs> it and hand it out to the students. It's pretty close because I know um, in Arkansas and in most states, they've standardized, you know, the idea is if you take, you know, English comp at UACCM and then you transfer to tech, that class is going to have to transfer. There's a whole ACTS system um, in place that's, a, that's, the idea is to you know save people money. If you want to watch people lose their minds, say, hey, you know, you spent a couple hundred bucks on classes at UACCM that don't count anymore. Yeah. Um, so you have that that idea. It's like, okay, what do you get at a comp one, comp two, um, world history one or two? You know, they're going to have to be the same across the state. Like I know, I think it was pro- God, I'm getting old. Um, six or seven years ago, where we had that discussion, you know, for American government. Now, there's not nearly as much disagreement. You know, I'm not going to teach somebody American government and never mention a president. It just yeah. it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah. So. So, what's like as a political scientist, like man? <laughs> um, it's good. I mean, it's it's been a strange year and a half. You know, that's, true that. I that, would I would totally agree with that assessment of the situation. Yeah. Um honestly on a day-to-day basis it isn't that bad. Um cuz really whatever happens, you know, in the White House, whatever happens with a former White House advisor, um 9 times out of 10 it doesn't fit into my class what we're doing. You know, if we're talking about um something like federalism and you know we've got our discussions of you know um i'm trying to remember you know can we say the word you know the the debate over what foreign countries why don't we get um immigrants from norway can we swear on this wolf blitzer does you know we're you know we're recording this you know right after you know the shithole controversy yeah and it, you know, it's, it's yeah, I know, right? Well, and you know, I will say this: the main reason I want, and I was intentionally going to bring this up, is just you know, while you're on, is because I know you can provide some commentary. But that's the coolest thing uh, that I, I've enjoyed about the podcast is just commenting on current events that mm-hmm. are that are relevant to my interest or my guest interest or a combination of both, like. You can you can provide commentary and really in a in a huge sense of the word educate me and or the audience both, whereas I'm not going to really offer my commentary on such issues. <laughs> but that's you know like where I get a lot of my commentary is by listening to podcasts. One of the very first things I'm going to refer my students to is we're starting off with the Mongols. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever listened to Wrath of the Khans, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. No. It is so good, dude. And um, I'm going to tell them that. And I might even allow – they've all got to do a paper. I have 32 students, and I might allow them to do that to be a topic. Mm -hmm. I'm going to generate a whole bunch of topics and just let them pick. Mm -hmm. So, No, I think that's important. Whatever media or whatever gets people interested is, you know, you run with it. Um, we, in political science, we've talked about that, you know, the sort of the Daily Show and John Stewart effect. Back when he was doing the Daily Show, there was times where, a, especially younger people, that was their form of news. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you still see this, you know. Um, I'm a big uh, John Oliver fan. 
I haven't gotten into John Oliver very much. I have. I, I could watch him. I, yeah, maybe he, I should. He puts um, on YouTube. He um, he puts a lot of his sort of main topics. Um, his show is broken really into two pieces. The first, say, ten minutes is the rehash of the week because he only does one Sunday nights. Um, so the, the the first ten minutes of the rehash of the week, whatever, like two or three of the biggest stories are, and then he has sort of a. Um, the second part is a main like think piece, like this is our big argument. Um, like he was talking about how you know one of his first episodes was um, how big tobacco corporations were exploiting small countries. They don't. They had the money, the resources to be able to, you know, push environmental regulations, stop anti-smoking campaigns, things of that nature. Um, That's so, an interesting topic. Yeah. So he's um, he goes into those sorts of things. He's done a lot of criminal justice reform. Um, bail systems and things like that. You so, ever uh, follow Vice very much? Uh, a little bit. I know I get it. Um, I cut the cord and I get the H. I get HBO. I get the yeah. HBO app. I've seen it and checked it out a little bit. You know, I actually um, watch way more of their stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They have a hundred. Uh, I, I could be wrong here, but I feel like they have hundreds of playlists on YouTube to where like they'll have like a playlist called Fringes that has uh, a lot of cool. Um, documentaries in it and then some of those same documentaries might be in another playlist mm-hmm. like that's um jesse weiss and i when he came on for the first podcast we were like hey we're gonna talk about this and that but we ended up just talking about star wars for two hours <laughs> so i'm gonna end up dropping that into the after the show playlist because it's a, it's just a, a last jedi review <laughs> you know and he's gonna come on again and talk about uh, national parks mm-hmm. and we're probably gonna do a totally separate episode on the buffalo river mm-hmm. he's actually making a documentary on the buffalo so ah. all on his phone <laughs> I, people do that one it's of easy. the one of my uh funny things it's um there is um it's called pittsburgh dad it's these two comedy guys they're out of pittsburgh um, they do. It's about a weekly little show. It's about three or four minutes, but they shoot it all on iPhones. Um, Interesting. And it's basically it's kind of a caricature of Pittsburghers. You know, basically, you know, the Steelers are gods. Um, the strange accent. Um, a lot of the funny ones for him is uh, of that series is when they review movies. Like they take him to movies that your your dad should not go to. Um, like oh, man. take him to twilight, like twilight. There's a, you know, um, 50 shades of gray, Too funny. magic Mike, you know, and all oh, of a sudden yeah, your dad is trying to review this and he gets all, you know, um, you know, stammered and crazy and stuff like that. But it's same idea. It's like four minutes, but, uh, yeah, man, I love, um, I guess you, what you would call that like sketch comedy or I don't know what the technical term is for it, but when they get they get like kids to do stuff with their parents or their grandparents. Oh yeah, I've seen some funny videos on that man, for sure. So, um, did you uh, have you checked out the David Letterman? Uh, he's got a show on no, Netflix, I, and I, I watched it yesterday. I had Barack Obama was his. I first caught guest. that much, but I haven't. I wasn't sure what anymore with which. Okay, which streaming service is he on? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, it was good though, there, but here's the thing that kind of turned my eye on that is, I watched it. It was good, and then I was like, okay, I want to see the next episode because it's showing like George Clooney's going to be on there mm-hmm. and all these other guests. And there's only one episode available, which <laughs> means <laughs> they're doing the rollout. 
Netflix has taken away our ability to be able to show hole it and binge watch things, man, and yep. I do not like that. Uh, HBO's already doing that to me. It's- my, we were used to it. My wife and I, um, Hulu do, does that for some shows, too. Um, yeah, definitely. Hulu. We, we watched um, The Handmaid's Tale. I, I don't think I've seen that yet. Great show. Dark. Um, but they intentionally, they rolled, they did, they put out like three episodes mm-hmm. and then once a week put out an episode because we just saw the, com- uh, the commercial that's coming back in April and we were like, okay, yeah, April. And then we're like, oh yeah, we're going to get like maybe an episode or two and you're gonna have to watch it like a real television show. Man. Yeah. I know. Oh, 21st century problems. <sighs> I just want to, I want to watch it all. And it's not like I'm not going to watch it all again before the next season comes out. Oh, no. I might even watch it three or four times. Yeah, we're chugging through uh, Stranger Things right now. I saw you post about that. Have you seen, um, I I know I keep talking about this, but have you seen Dark yet? Dark? No. Core and I are, um, we're going to do a review on it. It's probably only be like a 30-minute podcast, but it is so good, dude. I mean, it is is like a teenage slash adult version of Stranger Things. Like, think Stranger Things multi-generational with time travel. (laughs) <laughs> Let oh, that yeah. sink in. Oh, yeah. The one I keep uh, pushing you on, um, Orphan Black. Uh, you know, I keep hearing a lot about that. I gotta, it, I gotta make a note of that. It's really good. It's trippy. The acting is in, is r- incredible with it. Was that the episode that Dylan Sparks' character was in? Yes, he, he, he was funny. Season, Dude, it, look, I, it looks just like it, man. Yes. It's scary. Oh yeah, but um, now Orphan Black is really good, and there's no way really around it. Like, spoiler, the key of Orphan Black is it's about cloning, human cloning. Interesting. And one of the funny things is um, the, there's only one actress who plays the clones, so she winds up playing different versions. So like the Boba Fett of Orphan Black. Because remember in uh, uh, Attack of the Clones, they make all the clones off of Boba Fett. Yeah. All the stormtroopers. Yep. Yeah, but imagine them all having different personalities, different approaches, and you wind up with one actress playing all versions of herself. Yeah. It's interesting how that is not the case in um, the new Star Wars trilogy. So like Finn, mm-hmm. Finn, blah, 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 yeah. he is not a Boba Fett stormtrooper. And I don't think any of them are. No. I mean, I'm uh, the Star Wars nerd reading the books. and Old canon or new canon? Uh, new canon. Yeah, see, I'm wanting to get into the new canon too, but I'm also wanting to read the old canon Luke and Leia follow-up story those following are, Return of the Jedi. Those are great if you find... You can find them in like, used bookstores everywhere. Yeah. but Because uh, I think the the books are interesting. So they expand some of the ideas. They explain what the hell is going on you know, behind the scenes. Um, like I've got a couple... Um, I've got trying to think what I've read. Um, Aftermath is one. Basically, it's right after. It's basically a lot of the a lot of it's empire driven. Mm-hmm. Um, Aftermath. There's a three book series which a lot it, of trilogies. In the, yeah, in the old canon stuff. It's, it's the breakup of the empire. You've just lost the battle of Endor. What happens to the empire? And they explain some people surrender, some people fight. Um, a lot of the books in that trilogy, basically, they go off into what they, like wild space. They mm-hmm. go in the fringes of the galaxy and regroup and hide for like years, and that's the where outer the, rim. Yes, and then come in and you know mess the galaxy up again. Tell you what, I'm going to pause this real quick and uh, take a leak. 
a lot of coffee and spark this morning already. <laughs> and we're back on for right. the audio. I just kept the kept the video recording. So, right. so anyway, so what's your? Uh, we're getting we're getting close to like where I feel like um, it's almost time for the next election. <laughs> like here, well, the here in the next. I mean, when when do you think that's going to start gearing up? Like, what's your what's your assessment of the like back uh, on that topic? Um, po- a lot of state politics. Um, we are in election season. We never leave election season. It, it seems that way. Um, you're in the 2018 election cycle now, so there's going to be you know Arkansas governor's race um, is already. I hope it doesn't get too much more strange. Um, Ace is probably going to win. Renomination, but he's got a challenger. I can't remember the woman's name. She, I was reading about her. Yeah. Let me ask you this: Are all um, are all governors on the same election cycle as our state? No, they stagger. Some every state makes its own decisions. Some states do it the same year as presidential because you have better turnout. Some states do it in the um, off year elections. You know. 2017, 2019, because you have fewer races. Um, we're do we do it in 2018 because you still you have the house races. You'll have the um, no Senate race this time around, but um, you have better turnout than off year. Um, but like yeah, I would uh, I would agree. We're in J- early January. You're going to have uh, primary elections this spring. You know, see who runs for each of the parties and then, you know, running through. Hopefully it won't be too bad as far. Like I remember, um, I think the first really big Senate election once we got to Arkansas, I think it was we have in 2014. That was Tom Cotton versus Mark Pryor. And it was just negative campaign after negative, you know, ad after ad everywhere. You know, and it's basically Tom Cotton was winning by 20 points when um, the the campaign started. Everybody went negative, and he won by 20 points. So. I, I hear about Tom Cotton in the news a lot. Yes. And I mean, he's just from, like, right across the river in Dardanelle. Oh, yeah. So, um, and then there's that conspiracy about him also, which maybe, nah. maybe we should or shouldn't get into. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation about what he wants to do, what his future holds, and... Um, I'm at the point now I try not to speculate if possible because everybody – I think people drive themselves nuts that way. I know, man. I Every, was I was like Googling uh, Googling all about him a while back just because uh, I'd heard some things. And um, I, I think he recently uh, – he had a pretty rough town hall meeting probably mm-hmm. six months a year ago, something like that. But uh, he uh, – I, I read about him I feel like in the national news periodically as yeah, well. Yeah, he's mean, definitely – he has uh, national aspirations. Um, and Republican Party leadership aspirations. Um, I read a, an article on him. I can't. My two um, big sort of online political news sources are Politico.com and uh, another 538.com are my two big sort of go-tos. And I think it was Political Magazine did a very good write-up of Tom Cotton. Because the one thing they sort of stressed that he was managing to do better than most Republicans is you can, when we say the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, you assume nice, big, you know, one big happy family. And for both sides, nothing's further from the truth. Oh, yeah. 
That's um, what. That's my total opinion. Is they don't. I mean, it's not that the the two parties don't get along. Mm-hmm. It's that nobody gets along, or or it's like a survivor type setup. It's <laughs> like there there are alliances. And, oh yeah. And when committees are formed to, for certain issues, I feel like then alliances <laughs> are formed based off. I mean, but, it's it's like a Shark Tank. Oh, it is. But uh, what they were saying is that Tom Cotton managed. Two of the biggest blocks of you know conservatism or republicanism are sort of the Trump wing, and the sort of the classic you know Reagan Republicans, and very few Republicans manage to work both sides of that effectively. You know you have to be kind of the bomb throwing half lunatic version, or um, you have to be sort of the quiet conservative. But they were saying like Tom Cotton's managed you know in his own way to find a way to bridge that. That he is appealing to both sides, which is pretty rare today. Um, so he's like a centrist with his own, within his own party, in, in a sense. Yes, he's not as he's managed to cross those deep divides. Um, so that makes him unique and special in his own way. I just watched this, and I would recommend it to you if you haven't seen it or if I haven't told you about it. But on uh, JRE, Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. um, Gary Johnson. Oh, like episode eight hundred and fifty something, something like that. It was a, <laughs> he. Did, I didn't even know at the time that he'd come on there. I just wasn't charty and I missed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, but that's probably like probably around that time is when I really started watching like every Joe Rogan episode. For the most part, I watch it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, every now and then there's an episode I don't finish, but there's some episodes I'll even watch two or three times, like the Paul Stamets episode. Um, there's, there's some really good content on there. But, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, he, he, there's a great episode where, uh, Gary Johnson just kind of gives his assessment of it's in his, but right before the debate mm-hmm. on the last election cycle oh, for wow. presidency. So mm-hmm. yeah, super interesting. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. I, I, I was super interested. I was like, man, how, how did I not check this out already? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was good. Uh, it was good. Listen, good watch. Oh yeah. Well, uh, so what do you think? Uh, so next next election cycle, who who you think is going to oppose Trump? <laughs> Everybody. Yeah, um, <laughs> I could I could see that happening for sure. <laughs> Would be the uh, the standard norm. Yeah. Um, oh God, if we we had a pool where we we were sort of messing around uh, late last year, and we had a draft, you know, picking who do you think is going to, you know, be the Democratic nominee in points and stuff like that. Um, and so there's, they're lining up, and that's part of, uh, as I was saying when I teach the parties or whatever, there's differences of opinion in the Democratic Party too. Um, what, you know, which way do we go from here kind of questions, you know. Um, you, ha- you will definitely have women candidates. You will have Hispanic candidates. You will have African-American candidates. You'll have progressives, you know, the sort of the Bernie Sanders, you know, social American socialist light kind of people. And which one of those groups and how they work together, I think is going to is the, the easy answer to, you know, some combination of those is the, the way forward. Could you see Bernie Sanders running again? Oh, he'll run again, whether or not he gets... Um, any more traction? I think the tra- how, how old it, will he be when he if he that's runs what, again? I want to say he's like he'll be like seventy three or seventy four. 
So he's long enough in the tooth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's part of it. They've. Um, I feel like that was the uh, main reason why John McCain um, did not get elected. That was the big issue. I remember everyone was talking about his age, 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 age. Well, he was, I think, and if I remember right, he give or take a year either way, he was the same age as like Ronald Reagan was running. Yeah. You know, but unlike Reagan, John McCain's had a lot more, you know, mileage on the tank. You yeah. know, the Navy service, the five years, and the prison the, the, camp. The POW. Yeah, you know. Yeah. If you're, you know, a cat with nine lives, John McCain used seven and a half yeah. for those five and years. And now he has, what, a brain tumor or something? Yeah. So it's... Hard times. Oh, yeah, but it, um, that was the one thing that I thought the Democrats were smarter about is that, you know, Barack Obama was a younger president, you know, late 40s, I think, when he, you know, he was elected. So all of a sudden you went back to the old people again, you know. Hillary Clinton, what you know, was I think in her late sixties, running against Donald Trump. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we've got our grandparents running for office. But it, again. isn't it crazy that um, Hillary allegedly Hillary Clinton's health is in decline, more so than Donald well, Trump? Well, she's who, seventy. Who, who eats McDonald's every day? Oh yes. You know. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever, but uh, you know there were there were a lot of reports that she had um, been collapsing, and I want to say they caught her collapsing on camera outside of like a hotel or something. Uh, she had wait, years before she was Secretary of State, because this came up when she became Secretary of State. She had um, they call them like mini strokes. I'm not exactly. Yeah, they're different. Like little almost like little seizures or something. Yeah, right? like little neurological. Yeah, I mean this was you know. Now we're getting old. Um, this is probably ten or fifteen years ago, you know. Um, well, yeah. So. When she was a senator, that's when it was happening. Um, my aunt went through, and she was fine. But it's it's weird. It's scary. You don't know exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, but it's you know that's the problem when you elect people who are in their sixties and seventies. Those sorts of health concerns are going to come up more. Yeah. Whereas if you get somebody who's in their you know late forties early fifties, um, they've got you know I forget you've, you've seen the pictures of how presidents age. They oh, look no, they look man. one way on inauguration day and they look like crap when they walk out. It is, um, I'd say. I mean, even Obama, I've oh, yeah. seen before and afters of him, and I mean, but you know, you got to admit, uh, I look a lot different now than I did <laughs> ten years ago. I can grow this beard ten years ago. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, there's eight years, but it's also, um, I tell people it's you're working, you know, it's pr- being the president's like a ninety or one hundred hour a week job. Yeah, you know, you're gonna wake up, you're gonna get briefings, you're gonna have, you know, um, that Barack Obama had on that Letterman show was talking. He's like, uh, Letterman asked him what he did the day after, and he was like, well, you know, slept in. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that was kind of nice. Uh, and then he said, like somebody called him and uh, was uh, like, "Hey, you know, we got this thing. I want to talk to you about it. It like a book deal or something." And he's like, "You know, super important. You know, we we need to get this done. When when do you think you could do it?" And he's like, well, "How about tomorrow?" <laughs> and he's like, "Dude, it's going to take like two weeks to set that up." And he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm used to having to make thirty minute decisions <laughs> based on people's lives." You yeah. know. But I mean, that's uh, imagine <coughs> the stress that comes with being the president. Oh yeah, it's insane. It's mm-hmm. it, it, and I'm I'm not going to say that our model is does not work or anything. But 
or suggest that there are better ways or what they would be, but it just it seems like a a crazy impossible situation for whoever is in that hot seat. And yes, it seemed that way, particularly in the post World War II era. You know, like since since the bomb or during the Cold War. I mean, it's just like it's gotten so much more complicated with uh, technology and travel and mm-hmm. cyberspace. And a lack of control over it. You don't – welcome to 21st century living. I mean, you saw this um, – like Jimmy Carter is the one I usually use where Jimmy Carter is the president. He comes in. It's the post-Vietnam era. Nobody wants to fight foreign wars, but other people had – you know, what year did Carter design. get elected? Oh, 76. So he was in, so, in office 77 to 81. So, and it, am I um, correct in this uh, fact? Is that is that Jimmy Carter was the first vice president that was never elected because Spiro Agnew? Is that correct? No, Jimmy Carter was a governor. Okay, um, so who, who replaced Spiro Agnew under Nixon? Oh, Ford. Gerald Ford, Ford. Ford. So Ford. That was one yeah. of the first changes of vice president yes. at the re-election. Yes. So that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So. Ford. Because I, I mix up Ford and Carter periodically because mm. it's kind of a weird little time. I, t- I joke with my students, like when we do the presidency, I don't even mention Gerald Ford because there's just there's no, you know. Well, yeah, he is the <laughs> first. Uh, but he, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first vice president that was unelected that was then became president when Nixon resigned. Yeah. So he wasn't elected as president or vice president. Nope. Interesting. Yeah. That's so, but very the, interesting. But like you know, Jimmy Carter has problems with OPEC. He has problems with the Soviets. Um, and it's just like everything is so interconnected like that. Um, you saw this. The one I use in the um, for the Obama administration was there was the big Greek financial crisis. For decades, the Greeks spent, borrowed, and couldn't pay it back. You know, they were saying um, the Olympics is such, you know, Brazil's gone through the exact same thing. Um, the Olympics are supposed to be so great and bringing all this revenue. Um, they, it never, you know, they built all this stuff and it never did. Um, but every time the Greeks mentioned, hey, we might default on all this debt we have, like the American stock market drops 500 points. So all of a sudden, the American president is saddled with the decisions of a Greek finance minister, and welcome to you know interconnectedness, you know twenty fifteen. So as a president, and you have a bigger bureaucracy, more issues you deal with. You know we talk about life was so much simpler politics wise, government wise, say nineteen fifty to 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 today. You know, there was a lot fewer countries. Decolonization triples the size of the United Nations and the world. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, you got to think about what's going on in 200 different ways. You know, you got the chessboard there, and it's like, okay, you know, you're dealing with, you know, 32 pieces. Now you're dealing, you know, imagine trying to deal with a chessboard with 200. Well, that's like you, what you were saying about the, the comp sections, being a department head over uh, mm-hmm. professors and a bunch of adjuncts and trying to keep them all on the – I mean, it, it's it's nightmarish, you know. Oh, yeah. Administration and, I mean, division of labor, uh, it's it, – leadership is hard. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the, one of the hardest things, uh, and I can – like I said, I, I'm not even going to begin to uh, offer – 
better ways or <laughs> ideas or anything because I can't think of any. Yeah. But it's um it does it does seem like um on a national level, uh, even with a cabinet, even with the vice president, even with uh, a group of advisors, it seems like an impossible undertaking. Oh, a lot. I use that's the end line of my bureaucracy lecture. You're talking about organizations who might have great aspirations, but you're talking about trying to fix like permanent long term problems. Well, when you explained, so I had, I had you in American government. Yeah. And when you explained how I apologize a, for the scars, how a bill becomes a law, mm-hmm. I was just like, "How does anything get done? How does yeah? It's yeah. like we're we're screwed here. How, yeah. how this? It's but, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, I think you know. I talk about you know um, things like you know the departments of um, things like the EPA, things like the Department of Education. You know, we've been fighting educational battles my entire life, and I'm in my, you know, mid-40s, you know. Um, Same thing with environmentalism. And it's better than it's been, but it's still a long way to go. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, these bureaucrats have to deal with big intractable problems. You know, how do we educate everybody? How do we feed everybody? Um, How do we get, you know, everybody, you know, healthy in health care? You know, this has been... Basically, this, the American system was built by Lyndon Johnson. Yeah, great and there's society programs. You know, I'm doing a big, uh, and I'm hoping to have Woods on to do an episode on just LBJ. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm doing a big series of uh, 1968 podcasts, Martin Luther King, RFK, mm-hmm. Tet. Yeah. Um, That'd be a good D- one. The Democratic National That's Convention. That's right. T- hey, yeah. yo, yeah, I could have you on for the DNC riots. Oh, God. If you wanted to break that I could down. do, yeah, well, that, Woods covers Tet, too. I cover, you know, yeah. world politics. But I was just thinking, today is a Martin Luther King Day, but in Arkansas, it's the first just Martin Luther King Day. What, yeah, yeah what, what's, the, what's the story on that? It used to be, um, up until this year, it was both Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee. That's what I thought. Man, we are such a. It's, it's part of uh, being a being a, a Yankee. Yes, Mister Hausnick. Yes, uh, I prefer what, carpetbagger. What you, please. <laughs> what do you think of that? Like, like uh, looking looking into the South because there's another reason I want to start a podcast is like uh, one of the main narratives I like is how uh, in Arkansas history is how like De Black and some people bring up the narrative that it's like we're perceived as this is just backwoods backwards yada 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 but the but the truth is is Will, Willie Nelson said we have the best weed in Newton County ever <laughs> and all sorts of other cool things there's great music that comes through here oh yeah it's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful state the nature mm-hmm. here is beautiful the Buffalo River is beautiful yeah. we have elk we have all this natural beauty they're filming True Detective season three in Arkansas they filmed that movie Mud with Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. here in Arkansas. So, I mean, uh, to me, from an, here's the great thing: I'm I'm an outsider. Um, I'm a Yankee. Um, my great grandparents, I think, if I got the story straight, came to America from Italy. About yeah, about 1900. So I've got no stake in this, but the way I see the South, because I've actually lived, um, I was in North Carolina for four years. Maryland for four, but Maryland doesn't really count. I didn't know you were in North Carolina, did I? The army. Oh yeah, duh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't. Yeah. Um, I just. I didn't. I didn't. What you, about what I, there is. I think the struggle of the South is that you do have all, in all the southern states. You have a lot of what you just talked about. 
there's you know great people, good, but I think the trouble you get into is in places you get this weird, very vocal minority, and we're talking like five or ten percent of the the state, but that for some reason they are the ones who get the most attention, capture the the narrative, and give the rest of the South or the a bad name. Like the political example I can use. How many bad stereotypes did Roy Moore bring back up in Alabama? You know, here he was the you know the former Alabama Supreme Court judge who got thrown off the bench twice. Who rode his horse to the election? Rode his horse to the election. I mean, dude, it's like we're not going back to the horse riding days, bro. No. Like, what kind of statement are you making with that? Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't get that. I'm like that. Was he trying to appeal to a certain sect of voters that he thought would elect him, farmers and Yes. Well he's on racist, his he's, I don't know. He's on his own political wavelength. Like I was um I was saying the website I really like, it's called five thirty eight dot com. Um they don't do a whole lot of stories. They may do five or six a day and that's it. But they do it's all data driven. It's all here's exactly how we got our evidence, here's how we measured it and here's what we Good for them. Yeah. And that that's part of I'm an evidence guy. Um, yeah, I want to I want to know the facts and 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 develop my interpretation and why I like going to um, like I listen to a lot of podcasts and watch a lot of um, I stream a lot of things, but I try and gather my opinion from more educated people's interpretation versus I, let's say a Fox News <clears throat> or or whatever news. I don't really watch the news at all. I I want to see. I want to go find my own facts, mm-hmm. and then I want to also see how other people are interpreting it, and I almost base my interpretation off of facts that I've accrued and the interpretation of other people's interpretations. Mm-hmm. You, to understand a lot of stuff, especially in politics, you need to read a lot about it, a lot of different angles, perceptions. Um, like the one I use for um, – and you still may not get an answer. And I think you have to be comfortable with that. Some people aren't. The example I use is when you're discussing the invasion of Iraq the first year. Um, there's lots of debate and discussion about how it went off the rails, how the insurgency got started. And there were, you know, there's a number of key actors. They're talking about the president and the vice president. And you start reading all the books from those different angles. But like the one guy who. Um, his name is L. Paul Bremer. He was the civilian administrator put in charge of Iraq for basically a year. Um, th- there are so many different interpretations of his role. Everything from it was all his fault. He was the master genius running from Iraq by himself without Washington instructions. So he was like Iraq's Westmoreland. Uh, pretty close. In a, in, in a sense, in a more modern sense, I guess in a more, you could say. Yeah. But there's, but that's one interpretation. The other is basically he was Dick Cheney's puppet boy Stooge. Okay, yes, I've heard that. And uh, but here's the thing: every time you read a different book, different account, you're getting more of it. But he's an odd character because there's not a clear consensus as to what his role was. Whereas you saw with Westmoreland, um, things you're, you've had time. There's a much more sort of clear narrative on Westmoreland's role in, you know, sort of hyping up our successes, hyping up body counts. People are pretty agreed at this point on his role, where the L. Paul Bremer's still, I mean, it's 15 years later, and there's still very, very different interpretations of what he was thinking, what he was doing, those sorts of things. So I think, I think you're on. The more information and more angles, 
um, you can take in on any topic, the better off you're going to be. You're going to sort through a lot of the the garbage and the uh, things like that. What uh, what would you say is going on in the Middle East right now <laughs> under Trump? I mean, Korea is what we're what the hot topic is, but um, what would you um, what would you have to say about the Middle East region? I think the biggest topic is something that no president, doesn't matter who would have won in 2016, has nothing to do with. There is a Saudi Arabian power struggle going on as we speak. Um, that's another, if you talk about age, um, the king of Saudi Arabia's are all, um, I want to say he's 80 now, 81. The last one was 88 when he passed away about two or three years ago, if memory serves. Um, but you've had a lot. It, It's not... Here's a quick story. Um Flavia, who's going to be on the podcast tomorrow, uh-huh. taught jujitsu to that guy's grandson. <laughs> okay, continue. Oh yeah, um, but uh, the it's not a European primogeniture perfect su- succession. <clears throat> There's a number of families all sort of working together um, and competing to be the next king, yeah. designated crown prince. But it's clear that there is. A number, um, a number of high-ranking non uh, people who aren't in, in the sequence are have been under house arrest. Um, and Saudi Arabia is sort of the pivot of the Middle East. I mean, their struggles with Iran, their interference and work with Syria, um, their influence in Saudi in uh, Iraq, things of that nature. This is some. I think this is one of those stories where. People are missing it. You know, they're like, okay, the Islamic State's dead, yay. Um, you know, um, on the Islamic State and kind of the instability of the region over mm-hmm. the last 15 years, we'll say, or more, really, I mean, my entire life that I can remember since uh, yeah. the first Gulf War. But um, that was the thing with um, the Mongols, is that um, they were able to take over the regions they took over in the Middle East during the time they did, like, 12, 1300s, mm-hmm. because of political and social instability due to um, Islamic infighting. Yes. You saw the same thing um, with the Islamic State in Iraq. Um, Saddam Hussein was a Sunni. So you had about 30% of the country running the other 70, um, mm-hmm. oppressing the Shia, oppressing the Kurds. Once the U.S. invades, it becomes kind of sort of democratic-ish. Um, but what ha- I mean, it's democratic numbers. The Shia win, and they control the joint. Um, you know, they control the whole country then. And all of a sudden, now you're, you know, the Shia and the first, um, Nuri al-Maliki, if I remember right, was the first uh, Shia president, he had every intention of paying back the Sunnis for about 30 years of, you know, oppression and um, their western desert, you know, Bedouin Iraq, um, and pushing them out, you know, basically he was giving them nothing, you know, no oil revenues, no governance, um, and it just pushed them back into the hands of the Islamic State. Kind of the same way they did um, when the U.S. invaded with uh, it was Al Qaeda in Iraq at the time, but a lot of those a lot of those people are the, were the same cats, same individuals. Um, between all those movements, you know, you've lost power, you've been driven out, 
you're fighting this divide in Iraq between Sunni and Shia. And so it leaves a vacuum so somebody else can step up. And so that's a lot of what happened with the growth of the Islamic State. And then when people went, oh, we have you know, a true existential threat, you know, like, okay, let's put our differences aside. So that's why it's always, it's easy to win wars. It's all, it's hard to win pieces. Yeah. And so. Indeed. Um, so what's, uh, you know, Israel's always kind of a hotbed of controversy, I would say. And, yeah. you know, I would say the number one thing that I'm hearing other than the things I've always heard. Uh-huh. Bombs, missiles, Gaza Strip mm-hmm. is um, they seem to be controversial in uh, <coughs> the music world. Like uh, there's so many. Like Roger Waters was giving um, what is Radiohead's lead singer's name? I uh, don't. I can't remember. Well, he was giving him crap for playing his show there, and uh, it was a big thing in the media, and they were bantering back and forth, and um, that seems to be a lot of artists are being critical of other artists for playing or not playing shows in Israel. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Uh, not especially. It's the, the issue is that Israel... I could see why Roger Waters would be perfect. You've got, you know, you built, you write an album in the 70s called The Wall, yeah. You know, and guess what? Israel building a massive has been building for years, sort of a massive yeah. West Bank dividing wall and creating, um, you know, separate societies and things of that nature. So it's like you know, it's logical that Roger Waters would be um, against that sort of thing, but it's it's tricky, you know, because you you wind up um, on you know you want to allow you know artistic expression you want to allow commerce but you know israel is in kind of a bad place you know they're kind of stuck in a weird place they are um you know there's we've been talking about trying to negotiate you know some kind of palestinian state and peace um since the last major war in 73 and before that but we've got 68 yeah Forty, you know, forty-eight, fifty-six, sixty-seven, seventy-three, some a little smaller one in eighty-three, I think, between Israel and Egypt. But it's like it's a, it's a, it's a mainstay in the narrative of American history in post World War Two, for sure. Oh yeah, I w- I would love to do just an intense study or a series of podcasts just on that. Woods, when um, Dr. Jeff Woods, we filmed him for uh, some of the projects we did with um the k-12 initiative and he did um one or two (coughs) talks on israel Mm -hmm. and um it's a fascinating topic i am i'm fascinated by them all throughout uh, the israelites all throughout uh history i actually with uh, professor krieger did a special problems in undergrad Mm -hmm. where i was trying to link um pharaohs mentioned in the bible but not Mm -hmm. named with pharaohs we know of from the new kingdom Mm -hmm. so I didn't really make any broad base connections, but I would like to take, uh, I'm going to continue to take a look at that project over the years because uh, they're finding new things all the time. Oh yeah. You know, uh, things are being reinterpreted and um, I think that 20 years from now we'll know a lot more than we did about Egyptology. Yeah, but it's, it's tough because you've got this this sort of permanent hurting stalemate. Like you can't trying to find a way to separate, you know, 
to move things forward, to negotiate in good faith um, on all sides is difficult. Um, I bring it up a little bit. Israeli politics is, if you want tough, that's a big one because it's a multi-party system. Um, you know, you have like a dozen political parties seated at any one time, and you've get there. Think of the Israeli political spectrum is much wider than ours. Um, where you may have, like, if you think you have some right-wing individuals in the United States, no, 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 no. Try Israeli politics. You get, like, you know, hardcore Zionists. Um, and you'll throw, oh, by the way, though, you'll throw in a couple of Palestinian legislators, too, at the same table. So Interesting. It's, so it's, um, it makes it really, I mean, Israeli prime ministers spend almost as much time keeping a governing coalition together as they try and do passing laws and governing. You know, it's because you get these because you have so many parties, you get some really strange bedfellows together. You know, I've got a coalition of them you know, that makes a majority. I've got the ultra left wing, the ultra right wing, and a couple in the middle. Well, what about middle left and middle right? Eh, forget them. Couldn't come to a deal. Yeah, we got our alliance over here. Yeah, but this would be literally like Bernie Sanders and Tom Cotton forming a political party together. And smiling, yeah, and then keeping them together for a couple of years. Let, let, oh, let that sink in a little bit. Oh man, that's yeah. uh, yeah. But I bet people are getting paid, and that's probably one of the most important things. Probably. Um. All right. Well, so uh, what are you thinking about uh, being a jiu-jitsu purple belt, Chris? Hasn't it? Oh, um. It wasn't quite as much of a shocker change as my blue belt. That was the biggest thing I noticed. I, I told people, like, my jiu-jitsu my jiu got a lot better faster the first six months I was a blue belt because it was like ringing the dinner bell. You know, I don't know if everybody's kind of just nice to the white belt or whatever, but all of a sudden you get that blue, white belts want to tap you out. Yeah, Purple belts want to put you in your place. There's that funny meme. It's like... Um... Blue belt, I will never tap to another white belt again. Like, gets promoted to blue belt. Things blue, uh, shit blue belts say or something like that. Yeah. Um, but too funny. But no, it's been, it's been, uh, it's good. It's, I'm sort of accepting or getting into sort of what my um, specialty is. I, um, I, I see myself much more of as a escape and um, survival kind of guy. Like a counter grappler. Yeah, just, you know, um, everybody, you know, when you talk about these certain players do these certain things, um, you know, I remember when I first started, like, Dean Lister was sort of like, the he was the first leg lock boogeyman that was out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, this it's amazing how time changes in six years. Well, but, they say that Dean but, Lister even could be the reason that John Donaher John Donaher got Dean Lister. John Donaher is going to be on JRE today. Actually, I thought it was last Monday. It's today, mm -hmm. but uh, and then Ben Askren's on tomorrow, like NCAA stud wrestler. Mm -hmm. But um, that Dean Lister, uh, he taught at Henzo's for uh -huh. a period of time, and John Donaher was there during that period of time. And then right after that, you get the Donaher Death Squad, yeah. which is just annihilating everyone oh, with yeah. heel hooks and foot locks and knee bar. I mean, mm -hmm. you name it. So I wonder but what he had to do with that. The thing I took away always from Dean Lister, though, was that he, he had that incredible run um, of not getting submitted in tournaments. Yeah. 
I mean, I think was it fifteen years or something ridiculous like that? No, he seventeen, won- I think. No, he didn't. He lost matches by points, but he never, never got, got submitted until Josh until. Barnett got him. Did you uh, hear the backstory on that? I already mentioned this on one of the podcasts, but he um, Barnett tapped him with that chest compression. Yeah, and that is the last thing that Dean Lister tapped to seventeen years earlier. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Did it somewhere? But it's yeah. But um, you know, it's not. You know, everybody wants to be, I want to be, you know, the flying armbar guy. I want to be, you know, um, the leg lock extraordinaire, you know, the defensive and survival guy. It's not quite as cool, not quite as sexy, but it's still, I don't know. I don't know if it's just my age, where I'm at in my game, but that's sort of what I've, you know, how do you get out of this? How do you defend it? That's why, you know. where a lot of my sort of thought is at this point, you know. You've been, um You've been fortunate to not sustain like any serious injuries since you've been training. Is that true? No, everything's everything's still holding in. Good. Yeah. No. That's. uh, I'm fascinated too by like, let's just say people over Mm forty and people with serious injuries, like how they adapt and overcome uh, that. Because um, it is. uh, Joe Rogan said this on one of his podcasts about having injuries in jiu-jitsu is that you, when you do jiu-jitsu you just learn to compartmentalize <laughs> it you know it's mm-hmm. like yeah well uh you know my elbow it's jacked up and <laughs> i can't use it like i want to so i'm gonna do this like the other day i like my shoulder was jacked for whatever reason i kind of hurt my neck and shoulder and it was getting better i went to chiropractor and i was just like all right we're gonna play the guard pass game i'm gonna be on bottom you guys are probably going to piss just three people, but let Justin Myrick and some some good, <laughs> some good dudes, Josh, um, uh, what is Josh's last name? Uh, Nordif mm-hmm. and um, maybe Bread and maybe one other person. But I just stuck my hand in my belt and I was able to knock the first three of them out with the sweep. <laughs> and yeah. I, I got Bread with an arm bar with one hand, but it's like you just learn to compartmentalize and overcome and still be able to roll and i'm you know you you probably i'm in a position where i'm in the gym every day so i have to be multiple times a day i have to kind of pick and choose my roles like i roll every day i usually roll multiple times a day every day but there's certain evenings where i'm not going to roll and -hmm. then there's certain like you know it's just it just depends oh yeah you know like i sometimes i just roll my private lessons depending on that like but i get my roles in every day but i got to be smart about i used to roll every opportunity and I would almost stay injured. And, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, that was back when I was competing, but, you know, and like during my purple belt, and there was not, not a time that I probably learned more that I put into new context as a brown belt than I did when I was a purple belt. Yeah. So, you know, now it's nope. just, I'm kind of like, I would say just almost relearning everything mm-hmm. in a new context, like applying these concepts at Jack and, that I brought back from Hickson and that I, that I'm learning from, from higher level white belts right now, I'm, I'm able to see those in a new light. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fascinating. That, that's where I think we're lucky with having uh, our association. Cause you can have any one of our high ranks from any one of the gyms give the same, you'd say, okay, show me um, a submission from half guard. And all of them are going to have different details that they follow. Different flavor. Exactly. I mean, it's the same general concept, but it's they've because their their journeys are different, their body types are different. They're going to focus on other details and stuff. Um, yeah. A lot of it for me is this is a mental game. It's you know you got to check the ego at the door, 
and you know, for me, I've had to sort of, you know, I'm not, I'm not old man strong. You know, I mean, we've got, you know, there's Bobby, there's Vince. Bobby's a firefighter. Vince is a general contractor. Mm. I Dude, want he swings that hammer, bro. He's got, they got grips <laughs> that, like, yeah, you know, they get a hold of you, you're already it's on. Yeah, oh, you're behind. So, um, but you have to just get over. Like, I, I, you see this a lot with like younger white belts. It's like when things start to go south, and they don't have an answer, they start. They get frustrated. They get down on themselves. It's like, why'd my guard get passed? And at this point, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You know, okay, you're half my age. You're twice as fast. Um, Man, my only goal, and I don't even really care anymore, is just to not get submitted. And I'm mm-hmm. going to get submitted. I mean, that's the that's the part about trying to train a bunch of savages. It's like uh, Kurt Ossiander says this. It's like you, you train a bunch of snakes. You can't get mad when one of them bites you. Yeah. And that's just like it's almost a compliment to the coaching. I, I said this at the end of class the other night. It's like I, I really just mostly competed to like validate my coaching in a way. It wasn't really because I loved it and enjoyed doing it. It was, you know, something I felt almost like a burden to do at the time. And then, you know, I was able to reassess and reevaluate and be like, well, this is, you know, I'm not really enjoying this right now. Mm -hmm. And was just able to to walk away from competing. And, uh, because I, I and and that's not saying I won't go back to it. I may, but when I do, I want to. I want it to be because I'm I'm looking forward to it, and it, it's a, something that excites me. And coaching excites me. Coaching competitors and training people to compete that excites me. But see, I think that's where my jujitsu is more naturally now. I I I uh, Micah mentioned an open mat. Um, I was working with Mike, and I forget there's a new guy shaved head. Damon. I think yeah. Yeah. I mean, both nice dudes, but I was, you know, I think I rolled with Damon. Um, you know, he got to, you know, he's young, he's athletic, he got to a pretty he's, good yeah, event. Yeah, he's, he's pretty heavy, too. Yeah, he got to a pretty good event, advantageous spot and couldn't finish anything. And I'm like, yeah. come on, dude, okay. Well, see, but it's, he had an MMA fight back in the day and trained for maybe six months a year or something like that, but yeah. it's been a few years, so he's kind of come back into He's been training a lot mm, um, that and wants to do MMA, so yeah. we'll see what uh, we'll see where he goes from here. That would make sense. I, I laugh because there's a progression I've seen when with MMA guys who come, our gym and others. There's a When they start, like the first six or nine months or so, they get really good at like two or three things. Yeah. And they think, I know how to do an arm bar really, really well. Um, And there's a point, though, once they get to about six or nine months, that's when they start to broaden and they got to learn other stuff. You know, so, um, but uh, I was able to to coach through both Micah and Damon at sort of look, you know, if you're in somebody's guard, drop your base, spread your knees out, sit back on your heels more, you know, because both of those guys, I'm like watching, like, you're going to get flipped around, you know. You get somebody who knows what they're doing is going to wind up sweeping the snot out of both of you. And, you know... But it, I, I I like doing that. That's, I do, too. It is. It's because I didn't learn proper posture in the guard, mm-hmm. like the triangle base on your knees, like you are just talking about, until I was a purple belt. Like, oh, in yeah. Terms, like, in terms of, like, being able to keep posture, not get broke down, open the guard with true postural pressure in a pelvic tuck and expanding space in their guard, I didn't know how to do that until I was, like, a purple belt. And that's what I'm saying about, like, I knew this idea of posture in the guard since I was a white belt. Mm -hmm. But I just, like I said, (coughs) purple-brown belt, 
moving into my brown belt, I just like, like started recontextualizing everything I'd ever learned and based off of more like these principles that are the threads that bind all my jujitsu together, like uh, connection, the middle distribution of weight, uh, pressure, uh, compression for pins, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, things, things that just, I mean, you, you've seen kind of the flavor of what we're doing, um, the oh, last yeah. year or so and how, how it's changed a little bit, but it, it's still this, it's still the same techniques, but I personally have been moving a, more away from a technique based game and more into a uh, principle based game. You know, it was like, I was telling uh, Nick Uts the other day, I'm like, look, techniques are cool, mm -hmm. but I want you to think in this way. Mm -hmm. And if you think in this way, you can you can do anything you know a concept of yeah. like hey here's you know here's the concept of guard retention and this is something that's in between escapes and you holding your guard yeah and let's wrap our head around this concept by looking at these three situations mm -hmm. which are techniques you know and just oh, starting yeah. from a narrative i kind of I've, I've been doing this to getting to most of the classes and i picked up on it from w watching other higher level instructors instructors like hickson or eddie bravo and they almost like start with a narrative it's like for example we're doing side mount escapes right now so i'm telling everybody um it's like and we're doing half guard mm -hmm. it's like okay so you escape side mount and the closest thing is half guard. Mm -hmm. The next closest thing is full guard. Closest thing from half guard is full guard. So you get the spectrum of possibilities that are closely linked. I mean, you can you can reverse people and roll them over from under half. You're not awarded points for that. If you can recover your half guard and sweep them, you would be awarded points in a sports situation. But just kind of framing a, a larger narrative for them to understand like, hey, you know, if you're escaping side control, that also brings in the guard retention. Mm -hmm. Like, why? How did they get to side control? Well, here are the situations they could have taken you down. They could have passed your guard or half guard. They could have moved from there, from knee mount, full mount, or the back backwards in the positional hierarchy to side control. Mm -hmm. And it's just getting people to think about that sort of stuff is is one of my main goals. It's not the main goal. I mm -hmm. want them to have these techniques and, to, but to be able to pull them off, like. I think that there's a, a, a conceptual understanding that can almost, um, whether it's the way the metaphors you use to explain a technique and the mm -hmm. analogies, because that's another thing. I'm always trying to give different metaphors or analogies. And I literally see some people, they pick up on metaphor A and some people pick up on analogy B. And you give them A before you give them B, and A makes no sense, and B t turns the corner for them. Yeah. You know, it's 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 fascinating when you see someone, you see that light bulb go off in their head, you see things click, and it's always like Justin Myricks, that like my number one person I'm always using when I talk about that. But probably once a day that he is in a class I teach, he's just like, oh yeah, like smile, like light bulb above the head lights up. And it's like, cause he gets the, how that goes into the broader narrative of his own personal game. Yeah. And that's, that's the trick of it is, um, the, the comparison I always use, um, is, uh, cooking. Like your lasagna is totally those, those sausages <laughs> that you make. I was thinking about it with the story that I saw some Italian sausages and I was like, man, We'll anyway, have to get, but um, a lot of like cooking shows are recipes, which is great. You can make some good stuff, 
but there's not as many good technique shows that show you principles. I know. Like the one I always tell everybody, um, the best, if you want to learn how to cook, um, Alton Brown's Good Eats. Because there were episodes where he shows you principles. Like he does um, one uh, one example. He's got a whole episode on making chocolate chip cookies. He takes three, the same general recipe changes the ratios and you get three different kinds of chocolate chip cookies. It's the same principles. You've got these ingredients. If you use more brown sugar over white sugar, you get this kind of texture so you can make what you want. But it's that same, he's giving you those things that work for everything um, in a much more broad kind of based discussion, the same way we talk about, like, I can show you how to do a Kimura. I can show you how to do an arm bar. But if I don't string it together with how did I pass the guard, get to a position, and do it, it's going to be so much less. You know You know what um, is, I, I kind of, just as a coach or an instructor, methods like what we're talking about is methods mm-hmm. like you could teach it in the linear fashion mm-hmm. you could teach it thematically we could study all arm bars from all different positions we could go past the guard to side mount to, mm-hmm. to arm bar you know and just the different ways in which you can construct the narrative a's and b's mm-hmm. um combinations oh, entries yeah. what happens when it doesn't work that's that's i tell people this all the time that's what keeps me coming back that's what always kept me coming back is that the the puzzle is never complete. Mm-hmm. You know, you're always you're always framing it, always putting pieces in. Yeah, and it, you, you're so right. It's like it, 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 always on the on YouTube. I struggled with getting like good principles. I've had to mm-hmm. I've had to really. It, it's more of a mental game for me of like how much information can I take in and then reassess it and and find the linkages and the commonalities and, and mm-hmm. discard that which is useless to me and mm-hmm. you know which and maybe come back to that useless stuff on down the road. That's happened multiple times too. Oh yeah. But it's like I have all this stuff like out in the ether, so to speak. Te- technically speaking, this different guards, different techniques, different ideas, concepts, principles, whatever. And then uh, right, they are not connected to my game. Mm-hmm. But in a year and a half, as I recontextualize things and relook at things, like every time I've ever gone over an intense study of a position, I just like totally reassessed it. Like right now with this stuff we're doing with half guard and with side mount escapes, I'm like, oh man, okay, now I understand this, that, and like some of the connection details that Jack Tofford showed me mm-hmm. from under side mount. Um, some of the stuff I picked up from Lucas Lecce on the half guard, uh, watching him play his half guard is very similar to how I've always played my half guard, but I just recontextualize as I'm doing a lot more truck these days and I'm able to to tie that into my back game a whole lot more, even if they do wizard. I mm-hmm. saw Gio Martinez doing and showing this technique where someone wizards you from half guard and you still put them in the truck on the far side. Okay. It's insane. I was showing it to Lasseter the other day. Have you ever seen that movie, A Bronx Tale? Come on, bro. You're Italian. You had to have seen A Bronx (laughs) Tale. Probably at some point. Um, It's it's got Robert De Niro in it and um, Chaz Palminteri. It's a really good (laughs) movie. Um, But he's like... um, there's this this mobster. His name's uh, Sonny, and he kind of like raises this kid up to be, um, it's like uh, one of his guys or whatever. And uh, they break up these bikers in a bar, and uh, they're like, "Hey, yeah, you know, y'all can 
y'all can drink here or whatever, just, you know, be good. And then they just start like spraying beer everywhere and stuff. And they like lock every, they like close the door and, and everything. There's all these other gangsters coming through the back door. He's like, now Zeus can't leave. <laughs> but I was, I was showing that to Michael and like we were, I was talking to him about it in morning class. I was like, dude, I, you know, I got to show this to you here. And we ended up working on it, our private lesson after that. And um, I, I was like, I finally got, got him in it. Cause I was trying to get him to do it on his uh, on his partner, and then I showed it on his partner. I'm like, we'll work on it later. So, uh, but I got him in it, and I was like, now you just can't leave. <laughs> yeah. Great, great time to quote a movie when you got somebody in the truck. Yeah. So. Well, well that's, that's part of being a, an older grappler is that you you've got to be able to control. Like I I you know I'm 45. I'm not winning a cardio battle. Um, you know, with some, you know, 20 year, you know, 21 year old CrossFit, like, um, the one I always brought up was like Ben Cook, oh, you yeah. know, he's training for American Ninja Warrior and super stuff flexible. like that. Super flexible. Core. I am, you know, I am not going to win a cardio race with him. I'm going to grab a hold. I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to put him in side control and really just grind him until you know. see it is it's it's, it's techniques and principles yeah it's and that's all you have when you're super exhausted and, and as you as your body fails you mm -hmm. begins to fail you um that's like i was um we were at like a one of the team workouts we do before the agfs and um i was working out with like caleb and tony and nate and all these different higher level just black belts higher level brown belts and we're kind of shark tanking it over there and I was like, man, you know, we've all been doing this together for, you know, Caleb and Nate and I, 10 plus years. And I, I forget who all else was over there, but and then <coughs> Tony's been around for seven or eight years, something like that. <coughs> but, um, oh yeah, I was, um, I think it was the summer AGF workout. I was with, um, I was in there, I was with the group, but I was definitely the old man of the category. Like, um. Uh, the guy you brought in for the movement, Derek Huddleston. Yeah, he was in my group, and you know he's fresh out of you know whatever Middle Eastern country he'd been deployed. Afghanistan, to. climbing mountains, being in a band, playing rugby. Yeah, exactly. Dude is, dude is a total bro. Yep, and it was like, nope, not gonna out cardio this guy. But like you know, you've been there two or three hours. You're like technique, technique, technique. <laughs> oh, oh, and the other two, I think it was Gorley, Steve Gorley, and. Um, oh, who's the other judo black? Jeremy Bushong. Yeah, I'm in that group. So needless to say, my side control escapes went nowhere. Um, <laughs> oh, dude, I've been in that same group with like Eric Ingram and Alan Shed, like a whole group of killers. Yeah. You know, but it's just like I, I looked around as it's like, man, imagine me having the knowledge and technical ability I have now at even 25. You know, mm -hmm. about to be 31 oh, yeah. and it's just like as you age and get better at technique and and assimilating concepts into your game your your body in a sense is going the other direction oh yeah i, I mean in a sense it's like you, you can't prevent aging and they, they say that um they the the scientist i don't know the people that write the articles on my phone say that you increase your um and i've heard doctors say this they, you increase your core strength you should until the age of 50. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you, then it starts going downhill. You start losing muscle mass and, mm -hmm. and stuff until you uh, are no longer here. But uh, that's, um, with jiu-jitsu, it's like you, as your technique increases throughout your entire life that you train and you get better and you, you, you understand more, 
your body goes the other direction. Yeah. And it sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, no, uh, I, there's a couple of things on that is, uh, one, I've you were talking, you put in the mental reps. Like, I think... That becomes a big, a big part of it. There's so much, you know, I've been at it now about six years, a little over six years. And I think I've, that's one thing I've seen is how much... When did you start? Oh, nine? Yeah. Man, that's that's eight years, bro. No, uh, I'll... You did. You started in 09. Because... I've been at it six years. So, six and a half. Okay, so 09, and we're in 2018. Nah, it's not been that long. It's got to be, because I, I opened... Maybe you didn't start. I started nine. right as you opened for so one point, like a, a couple of so months a little before that. Yeah, because yeah. you're doing privates with me on that back mat. Um, I yeah, I used I, those so privates. I opened it, so you you maybe 2011. Yeah, that'd be about. Yep, that'd be right. Okay. Yeah. So because I remember I we uh, uh, my wife works in downtown Russellville. There's um, and um, people we you know we talk about real estate development and stuff like that, and there are some there's some strange. Uh, property owners and landlords in downtown Russellville. Indeed. Because um, re- the one I remember was when, you know, you started out doing private lessons at that other place. You'd be in this back room, you're rolling around, and you wind up, like, in side control, and your your head's turned to look at the back doors, and you're like, oh, nice alley out back, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, downtown Russellville is... Um, I like how they're redoing it, though, and making it, oh, I, yeah. you know, more of a part of the community. But uh, you find stuff like that, but... Um, now, lost my train of thought. Yeah, uh, frequently that um, back door at that location would flood too. When yeah, it would rain. It would. Uh, I mean, there was water in. But uh, um, yeah, big one for me is I'm, I've been really interested to watch like, um, you know, our kids' classes as they grow, develop. You know, because I mean, oh, oh, I was talking. I got it now. Um, how YouTube has changed <laughs> and videos like that. The quality's gotten better because I remember starting out. You know, you go to look up, you know, bridge and roll on YouTube, and it's like two guys on cardboard in their basement. Yeah, and now Hicks six and years Gracie ago. was like, hey, let me go ahead and set the record straight on how to do the bridge uh-huh. and roll, put it on Budo videos. Yeah, or there's, yeah, but there's all, you know, you can find, especially once you get to, you know, maybe a year in, you start knowing, okay, who is known for this position? You know, if you want half guard, you're going fine, you know, Tom DeBlass' stuff. Um, from both bottom and top, or um, you know, X chokes, cross chokes. You're going to Lovato Junior. and stuff like that. That's where I think a big difference is. I'm you know interested. You know, I've got two daughters, and um, what they're you know if they stick with it, what kind of knowledge base is going to be available for them? Oh, I know. You I know. know. I'm I'm fascinated to see uh, because every year that that we're in, uh, that Core and I and the whole team is is doing Forza. It gets better oh, yeah. every year, and every generation of white belts, and every generation of kids, students that move from white to yellow belt, and et cetera, it just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm excited to see uh, what the future holds. And uh, because I, I just think about this earlier, and I joke with it about people, because I, I, and I'm to the point now where people constantly ask me, like, "Bro, did you know it was going to be like this?" <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> Well, yes, yes, I did. This is all intentional, but <laughs> yeah. you know, and and they're like, but yeah, you know, like, because I mean, twenty three, uh, when I was twenty three, so about eight years ago, I um, I, yeah, I mean, you knew me then. Yeah, I, I was, you know, you were, you were still the department you were helper. Un- you were untucking your shirt at two p.m., getting ready to go home, and <laughs> and I was there in the office being sure nobody needed coffee. So, <laughs> and, but, not, and not the, uh, and your your weight, your famous weight cut. 
Oh man, that was so rough, dude. <laughs> 2010 white cut. Yeah. Yeah. But um <laughs> and I still came and trained with you. Yeah. I yeah. want to die. This guy seems to have his stuff together. Yeah, I cut, I remember being 163 in the department that morning and cutting to 157 and throwing up green bile. And Ugh. I'm going to die sooner because of that, but whatever. Um, and But, too, you know, that's one thing that I want to do a Sports Unraveled on weight cutting, um, and we're going to do, do several on performance-enhancing drugs. Well, I th- yeah, well, I, um, the story I know you want to catch, I think uh, Paige, Paige Van Zant said this was a bad weight cut. Yeah. Um, well, and then Uriah Hall was like apparently on death's door. His, co- his head coach just died from um, uh, Extreme Couture, and uh, he was sick. I maybe had the, the flu three months or three weeks ago, rather, and uh, this is just last night for UFC St. Louis. And they, uh, I know he got pulled. I, just, I caught the headline. Got pulled, and now Vitor Belfort's fighting Michael Bisping. Mm. We've gone full circle with this, man. We started <laughs> off talking about widespread panic and music. That's why I went with the title Life Unraveled, because we've talked about politics. We've talked <laughs> about music. We've talked about the Middle East. Mm. Old man jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu in general. Now we're back on MMA but yeah, and movies. But I have a little spot on the podcast for every one of these topics. <laughs> you know, so it's um, with the it music unraveled and uh, after the show. So maybe if I watch all of Black Orphan, you can come on and do it. Orphan Black, Orphan Black. Orphan Black, yes. sorry. You can do a um, – is that a Netflix original, yeah? Uh, no, I think it's BBC or BBC America. Interesting. It's See, Netflix. Um, Black Mirror is a um, – I've got that in my queue. Dude, it's so good. Now, I will tell, I've told everybody this because, <laughs> like, I started watching the first episode. Well, I, I, Cora did, and I was taking a nap, and I woke up, and there was this super horrid part in the first episode that kind of like the whole episode is based around – but maybe start with the second episode and watch the whole series and then come back and watch the first episode. And then there's another episode called Nosedive that sucks. <laughs> but um, there's like 19 episodes and it's so futuristic and such a trip, man. It is just it's a trippy show. So check it out. But yeah. Anyway, I'm kind man. of into those uh, anthology series. I know one just launched, I think... Um, Amazon Prime, um, I think it's uh, Dreams of Electric Sheep, I think is the title, if I got it right. Um, one of the guys, uh, Philip K. Dick is his name. He's a very prolific science fiction writer. What else has he done? Um, he wrote Men in the High Castle. That's what I was thinking. He wrote the original book for that, but he also wrote... Um, Are you excited about season three? Of course. When's it coming out? <sighs> Sometime this year. That's, we were We were saying sort of you get these announcements... That you get you all excited, but then they don't tell you when they're going to launch it. Man, there's so you many know. things. Like there's um, Game of Thrones. There's the ne- the next Better Call. Have you been watching Better Call Saul? Yes. Three seasons, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we talked about it, yeah. This was the first season. Uh, season three was the one where I thought Saul finally sort of took over his own show. Yeah. The yeah. first ep- the first season, I thought I know, that, Aaron Trout was awesome. I mean, yes, I love Saul. I, I mean, Saul had a good plot line, but it wasn't as sort of gripping and. I know they didn't keep they, you there. Well, I guess, I guess it embodies his character of you know, slipping Jimmy. Yeah, that's what you really get established is that like, what he used to be, what he's trying to become, and what he's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of 
like in I think that we're moving into the part. I wonder how many se- seasons they're going to do. And uh, uh, the director um, or uh, creator of the show, who, who um, Gilligan? Yeah. He confirmed that um, Chuck is dead. Yeah. Burned himself up in his own house. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I should have said that before I said that. Yeah. But uh, um, I th- see, I'd be interested. I know for Breaking Bad, they said they had it planned five seasons. And they had it laid out. Well, apparently they're going to bring this all the way up to the Walter. Like, Walter Watt will be in Better Call Saul. I could see, like, the last shot of the last season when he, you know, walks into Saul's office. Either that or maybe imagine them telling portions of the Breaking Bad story from Saul's perspective. That'd be good, too. Yeah, to where it's like you don't see Jesse and Walt, really, but in passing. Yeah. But they're telling what Saul's doing during that that era. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you know they've got to bring it up to that because they keep doing flashbacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm like actually... Like, Tuco and stuff no, like... Tuco Salamanca, yeah. When he's not quite as... <laughs> well, and he, you know he's going to be in there again next season. He's got to be. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to actually have... Um, they only gave him a heart attack. They didn't give him a stroke yet, <coughs> you know. I'm going to give um, uh, Evelyn's uh, fiancé, Bob, mm-hmm. freaking Bob, <laughs> he's going to come on and review Better Call Saul with me. He's a huge Better Call Saul fan, so yeah. on after the show. No, um, actually, one of the things I'm reading, uh, my wife got it for me for Christmas. Um, it's a book. It's called From a Certain Point of View. It's a Star Wars book. It's celebrating the 40th anniversary of the original Star Wars movie. Yeah. But what they, they've done is they got, they're all short stories. There's like 40, and they're telling little vignettes within the original Star Wars movie. Like, they actually have, I'm reading now, it's the most Isley Cantina scenes. Oh, interesting. They did one short story from Greedo's perspective. They did one short story from um, one of the musician's perspectives, what he sees looking out. Another short story. Interesting. The next one's the bartender's version. But it's telling the exact same you know, scene, three different directions from three different... Every time I watch that movie, I get that Cantina song stuck in my head. <laughs> you know, the... Da, 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 da. Yeah, funny. 40 years. That's all I got to say. Dude, it's like, this is, this is it. Like, every podcast, like, we're in the zeitgeist. Every um, Star Wars comes up. What's going on in MMA comes up. Jiu-Jitsu comes up. Like, every, every oh, yeah. politics, whatever it now, is, it I, all comes up. I teased you with it. You finally got to go see Star Wars. Did you did you get my I told you you got to go see it. There's a whole jujitsu discussion right in the middle of Star Wars. Did you catch that? No. That's it's the whole Luke um okay, spoil, oh. spoiler spoiler the, the Luke Yoda conversation. Yes, yes, I did. We learn more from our failures than that. It's like that's, you know, everything we ever do in the myth. Page turners, they were not. No, yeah, those video, uh, those YouTube videos weren't page turners. <laughs> no, um, but that's it. You know, that's it. Like I, I'm, I wrote an ar- article, and I'm rehosting um, our blog on the podcast website. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start doing um, sort of broader topics, but I wrote a, a blog on like just being a student of martial arts and jujitsu. And I mean, you know, taking notes is one thing. Video breakdowns is part of it. And there's different videos you can break down. Technique videos, competitions. Um, mm-hmm. You can uh, that's one drilling I think, videos that's like one Jason I think, Scully style. That's one I think is underrated is watching yourself, you know, being able to actually – because I think I'm a bit rare. I can I think of – I can remember what happens during a role pretty well. Mm-hmm. But there's – the 
when I talk to a lot of people, they're like, I don't know. I just kind of rolled around. And I got to get cameras in the gym. Like, uh, like Omar French has like 3D sort of fisheye cameras that, <laughs> that hang down. Because if I could get one over each mat, it's great for counting class size. Because, I mean, we have well over 100 people coming in out of there on the mats every day. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice to just be able to look at morning, noon, and evening class and be able to see how many people are there. But also you can pull and put footage on the drive. I have unlimited drive storage. Yeah. So just put, but, dump it all in there, literally. But I remembered I was, um, this was back at Forza 2.0. Um, I was coming in, it was me, John, and Sharpie for one lunch class. And we actually recorded me rolling with John once. And when I could look at myself and see, this is what I'm doing, this is how I'm moving. And it's a way of, of assessment. Yeah. You know? What, you know? Not the way, I mean, but it is a way. Mm-hmm. But there's something when you can see yourself you know, you know, pause, stop, back up. That's why I almost feel guilty and why I almost, almost always show the technique on a second person unless I know who I showed it on, knows it, like if it's George or mm-hmm. whoever. It's like seeing things in 3D. Like the other day I was showing Nick a technique in a private lesson and I, like, I was like, hey, let's film me doing it to you real quick on my phone. I'm just going to prop it up here. And then you watch me doing it to you. Because like it was hard for me... He was like, it was an underside mount, like an Americana sort of sit up reversal. And um, there's the one where you roll them over, there's one where you could sit up with them. Mm-hmm. And then they're like in Kessa and an Americana, typically. And you just turn down to a side mount, finish, finish the lock. So he was having a hard time picking it up because you, you pick up the Americana in this funny little way. Mm-hmm. And um, <coughs> if you come in, we're, we're working on it right now. It's if they're doing like a, a knee slide, like slider pass type uh, guard pass, mm-hmm. and you catch that Americana, it's you just you just walk your hips out and set up, mm-hmm. and, and they end up like sitting down on their butt in a sense, and you just come up on top of them. Mm. So see those Allen belt. Well, I got you. Where, no. where they? Oh yeah. Alan Belcher just sent me these DVDs, which he never sent me when I ordered them back in the day. <laughs> but I had to log into his website, which he said would last for 99 years, but it only lasts for like three. <laughs> so, um, but <clears throat> there's a, um, on that website, he has, th- he has this, I think he calls it a side control Camora, but it's definitely an Americana unless he has that somewhere else. But there's a cool little, uh, series of techniques on there. And uh, it might be on here. Immune to leg locks, immune to submissions. Yeah, it's cool stuff. I bet his immune to submissions Americanas is not immune to the Jack Toffer, Hicks and Gracie style of Americana. <laughs> Would almost guarantee it. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to watch these. I just got them in the mail the other day. But <laughs> that's why they're in here, so I can break them down. Well, man, we got to wrap this up. We got some yeah. new jiu-jitsu here in about 53 minutes. And... Um, I'm going to get a little snack and drink some water before that. So are you going to be making it to noon class? That's the plan. Yeah, Sweet. I got the gate packed in the car. Well, happy Martin Luther King Day, everybody. We'll uh, catch you next time on Life Unraveled. We're having Flavio Kennep on tomorrow with Caleb Plank. We've got... Ooh, um, I can make the seminar tomorrow, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Good, yep. man. I Do want you think to... That, you know, uh, shout out. Thank you, Danielle House, Nick, for being yeah, on Juggle yeah. Schedules. Hey, I, yeah, well, we just did right here on the podcast. Thanks, Danielle. And when you show me how to set up my blackboard, <laughs> well, thank you again. Uh, but uh, also, we're having uh, Flavio and Caleb are on tomorrow, um, then the seminar. Uh, then we're having our first edition of Music Unraveled, Todd Snyder Concert Review, Todd Snyder Unraveled with Michael Booty. 
then on other music unraveled, you can look forward to um, us doing a 2017 concert review. Booty and my buddy Colby, between the three of us, we probably went to 100 concerts in 2017. Damn. We all three saw Roger Waters at three different venues. And that Bo- I Booty and I went to Tulsa. Colby and I went to Nashville and um, with Cora and Allie. And then um, Colby went to Kansas City. Mm. So, And they were all three slightly different shows. I mean, same set list, essentially. But he played a slightly different version in, in Nashville. And you know what? They were playing David Gilmore's solo stuff when we were outside at Nashville. <laughs> Funny. Oh, yeah. But um, So look forward to that. Um, also, be having Jack Toffer on the podcast. Michael Sandow's booked. We're trying to... We had to do a little rescheduling with him, uh, but we've got uh, Robert Regner as well, our uh, resident massage therapist and um, all-around great dude and interesting cat. <laughs> so, uh, But there, those are some of our guests we have coming up. Um, stay tuned. We're going to be uh, putting out podcasts on a regular basis. This will be our first video episode that we filmed video that we think has really good video and lighting and audio, but we'll see. So maybe you're watching this in the video version. If not, we'll get it down soon. We're going to be... Uh, expanding our background here in the uh, studio and always uh, always tweaking things and making them better for our listeners. So we'll see you guys next time on Life Unraveled.